Okay, great. Um, I've been looking forward to this for quite a long time. I'm so glad <laughs> you're here. This was um, a last minute because Melissa almost got stuck in Washington last night. We were lucky that she was able to fly in at all. Um, so one of the things we're really interested in here is that um, your site, Vox.com, is part of Vox Media, a bigger organization which houses um, a sort of umbrella brand for The Verge, Eater, SB Nation, a bunch of big sites. And Vox.com launched pretty recently, earlier this year. Most of them had launched before that. Most of them took eight or nine months. You guys did it in about nine weeks. Can you talk about what you did, what made it different in your process that let you launch so quickly for something so significant and high profile as well? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I think that because the company had um, a real um, strong example of how to launch um, great digital brands, we were able to learn so much from their best practices. It wasn't like we were starting completely fresh. One of the reasons why um, me and my two partners decided to join with Vox Media was because of this background that they had. We could see the examples of their work prior to joining them. So when we came, you know, there was a lot of talk about whether we should take you know, a year. We were supposed to actually launch in January 2015. So it's really funny to be sitting here because we've been, we've been live for about eight months now. Um, and it's, it's so funny to sort of imagine that different path that we could have taken. Um, but we, we talked as a group that said, you know, should we do this quickly? We have this opportunity. We have sort of space and, and um, the brain power of people on staff to think about this right now. And we said, you know what, they, we already have a great framework. We're going to borrow from SB Nation, and we're going to just see what we can do with that framework and build off of that. Um, and we made the choice to do that and start small and not try to recreate the wheel. Um, and that's really why we were able to get off the ground so quickly. And so when you say framework, do you mean technical framework or editorial setup? What, which pieces were you able to pull from them? I think a lot of both. Um, we actually had the benefit of having um, The Verge's managing editor at the time. He's now the editor-in-chief. Um, Neelai Patel came over and worked with us for two months um, as our managing editor. So he really taught us some of the processes that he'd learned. Um, from the technical perspective, we really had um, a huge framework with SB Nation. Um, the website is responsive, so we knew, you know, Anyone in the room who has to design um, across responsive mobile breakpoints knows how difficult that can be. We were able to um, get a skeleton structure in place pretty quickly. Um, so what we were able to focus on is um, a few really important parts, the voice, the um, visual language of the site, and a couple of different products that were new and different for Vox. So it wasn't just like coming out of the gate with nothing. We were able to start from a really good place. So you just you were able to focus on the voice and the visual brand. Did you pick very particular things and say, we're going to prioritize these and make these the focus so we can get off the ground with something that we're going to feel good about? Yeah, th I think that it's really important. The thing that I've learned about any project, whether it's a really small project, you know, thinking about how you're going to do a different type of storytelling versus building an entire website, anything that you take on, the biggest thing that you have to learn is how to say no Mm -hmm. um, it's so hard to start with a blank page. I think about my background is as a writer, and I always think about this. You sit down in front of that blank page, and it's like you're crippled. There's so much possibility there. Um, so when you put constraints around that, you're able to say no much more quickly. So you start with a couple things you know you have to get. You say, these are the three goals, and then nothing else matters. So it's so much easier to make decisions when you have, when you have really just like three aims and that's all you have to go for. So that was really what we went with. We, we decided that we needed to have one special project pro product, which was our card stacks, which is a different for story format, um, the visual language, and, um, and then you know a complete site. <laughs> <laughs> sure, whatever. <Just> <laughs> so how did you 
communicate that to the team so that everybody's carrying that vision and knows how to make decisions so that you can move really quickly? Um, one thing that was really important is that we, we did a couple things, but um, what was really important was getting everybody in the room together early on. Let me ask, how many people was that? Well, it's, it varied in the beginning. I think that the, in the beginning, it was, it was um, myself and my two co-founders, and then um, about five members of the the product team at Vox Media, and then a few other shareholder, stakeholders, you know, the CEO of the company, the publisher, um, and probably a couple people from the sales team. So it was, so it was probably maybe 10, 10 to 12 people. Um, and it, it was really important that we were all in the room together. We had people, we're a remote company, but we had people fly in. It's so much easier to sort of, you know, talk things out face to face. Um, and we spent a couple days doing that, really, really getting everyone on the same page. There's also something about it. It's funny to the, the blackout reminded me of this. There's just such a fun atmosphere when you're kind of together and you're sort of, you know, you have to like hunker down and there's kind of this like chaos in the air. Um, that getting that kind of energy allows people to agree, I feel like comes to an agreement a lot quicker. Um, so that was one way that we, that we were able to, you know, all get on the same page, that conversation in person. And how do you, as you bring in new people, you're up to about 35 people now, right? Mm -hmm. How do you help them understand what the priorities are and keep moving, to keep moving quickly? Just hope they get it, throw them in. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> no. um, I think that one thing, you know, it's, it's funny because for people who are not familiar with the news, I, this, the, the fact of, is, is that I always think that communication companies, we struggle so much with communication. <laughs> it's like it, it's internal communication in particular. You know, there's, everybody has a different way that they like to communicate. Some people like to talk on the phone. Some people like to read emails. Some people like to talk in person. Um, and it's really difficult to sort of be able to spread that voice um, across multiple, um, m multiple groups. Um, so, but we do really put an emphasis on constant conversation. So we have, you know, as we're bringing people on board, we have, we're working on Slack, which is, um, you know, the, the instant messaging platform and that, that allows for this just sort of like ongoing dialogue. Um, we make sure that we're, that we send people, you know, we've written up sort of welcome documents, what we think Vox means. Um, we sort of blanket them with a bunch of emails in the beginning. Um, and we just try to keep up this atmosphere where if people want to have a meeting and discuss things, they can call a meeting anytime they want and ask questions. And, um, and we try to have like, we try to think of our meetings, some of our meetings as conversations, not as meetings, um, particular, particularly so people can learn what we're thinking about. Right, oh, I like that. Um, so one of the things we want to talk about is experimentation. Mm -hmm. um, you had told me um, at another time that uh, one of your co-founders, Ezra Klein, had given out Eric's book to um, editors when, at the beginning of the, the run on this and said to everybody, this is how the product team is working. We need to get you guys thinking in this way too. Um, now we all know that giving out Eric's book is not like a magic bullet. <laughs> we would like it to be, but it, well, I wouldn't like it to be because if it were, we wouldn't have all of you here. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I wonder is how, how do you think about experimentation as you're getting bigger now, as you've got you know, 2 million people, is that a month on the site? No, 20, 22 million. 20, sorry. <laughs> I meant to, I like left out a zero. That was an important zero. 21, almost 22, yeah. yeah. Right, it's a huge number. Yeah. And the team's growing, and you've got people in product, and you've got editorial. How does experimentation play in for you guys? I think, so in the very beginning, we started, um, we, had a, we had an editorial team of about 10. We grew, you know, in that first month. And um, one of the things that we were, a lot of us were coming over from um, the Washington Post, which was a, a traditional media company. Um, they had a great technology team at the Post, but it was 
a media company, and it started as a media company. Um, Vox Media, on the other hand, started as a technology company. They originally built a platform to help support uh, a blogging network for sports bloggers. Um, they were not, you know, they were they enjoyed the media, they were cons consumers of the media, but they were not setting out to start a media company. Um, and so, the co so that company, because of the genesis of it as a technology company, it's really infused with um, this, you know, this ha hacker ethos and this mentality of, um, of experimentation, agile development. And uh, Ezra, in particular, wanted the editors to understand what that meant and what that really felt like. And for him, it was about um, thinking about editorial as experimentation. Um, we're in a stage of journalism where we're able to um, really rethink the way we deliver information to readers. Um, and it's not just in terms of, you know, how do you, do you move the nut graph up? Um, this is like <laughs> journalism speak. But like, you know, t how do you, how do you, t you know, write a better lead for the story? It's like, it's actually like, wh how do you, you know, do you need to really rethink the entire um, way that you present an article? Um, we have the card stacks that I mentioned is really like a, like a set of cards that you flip through. I mean, the, the, the uh, inspiration behind it was note cards that you read in high school on, for near notes. Um, and that's something that we want to make sure the editors are constantly thinking about, that they, don't, they can't just stick with one text block, that they have to be thinking about it in a really flexible way. Um, so it's important for us that, we're, that we encourage that constantly, that every time a reporter sits down to write a story, they're not just thinking like, well, we have one option. Um, it's to fill you know, a few inches on a, in a newspaper, it's, you know, or, to, or to tell a video in a 30-minute um, news broadcast. It's, it's completely malleable right now. Um, so that was why the book was, uh, you know, a really good inspiration because it's it's thinking about that um, that constant iteration. So the card stacks, which you said was one of the first things you started with, that was a big focus. How have those worked out? They well, it's been funny because they I think that they're a really good example of um, what how you learn lessons. Mm -hmm. So we launched the card stacks um, and. They were a huge success. They were something that people really responded to well. People, you know, ve were very complimentary of it. We saw a lot of readership to them, um, and they were incredibly difficult to make. They were. They take a long time. They're sort of these resources, these resource packets around big news topics. So, for instance, um, you know, we have one that's like the 11 things that you need to know about ISIS, um, and we're trying to distill, you know, this this massive, confusing, uh, changing storyline into 11 cards. Um, we have one that's around the Israel-Palestinian conflict. I mean, that's really difficult to be able to take 60 years um, and put it down into condense it into a pack of information. And it is something that you need to be changing and updating. We, we've made a promise to our readers that these are going to be um, relevant each time you go to visit them. And that's different for reporters. That's not how they've worked. Um, and so we saw, you know, we, we launched with about, um, I think we launched with about 60 of them. And then in the next two months, I think we'd managed to make three more. <laughs> and and um, the readers were, you know, they were coming back to them, but they weren't coming back to them really that regularly. And we were, we were really worried that we had put all of this time and investment, that this was sort of our marquee product, and they were a uh, failure. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, it was something that we went back to the drawing board and we, set, we did a lot of research around how people were using them, how the editors were using them, how the writers were using them. Um, and it's been great to see the process of the, the editors and writers really working with the product team to think about solutions, um, 
and we've been able to we've been able to adjust the editorial output of it and now we're seeing a huge amount of readership go to them again we're making a bunch of changes to the card stacks right now um, that i'm really excited about and i feel great about it it was something that I, it was something that we really felt bad about and that we've now been really excited about and that's great you have to learn those lessons or else the product's not going to get better so how did you guys figure out where to go with them? What kinds of changes are you making and, and what information did you look at that said, let's go this way? I mean, one of the biggest problems was how the editors were using them. And what was the, one of the things that is so often, I think, forgotten sometimes is that we, or something perhaps that I just forget, is that you think about the external user a lot. Um, you think about that because that's what your, 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 users are you know actually engaging with the readers for a news organization we think about our readers but you have to think about the internal user you have to think about the process of how this story is being created and if you create if you give people clunky tools that's going to be the problem not how do you tell a better story mm -hmm. um, and so we had created not a clunky tool but a pretty a pretty a pretty difficult tool to navigate and we needed to make some fixes that um, that allowed allowed the product to get out of the way so the reporters could actually just do the work. Um, so that was really important. And then I think that another part of it is now that we've seen, um, we've seen the response from the writers and also from the readers to them, um, we want to think better about distributing them. I mean, I think it's really, we need to be thinking about like off platform distribution. How do you, how do you, we have this resource, how can you send it out into the world in a, in a better way? Um, how can you surface it on the other, you know, articles that we've created? Um, I'm, I'm, really I'm really interested in how you can connect readers to information where the readers are, not so much, you can't just like create the information and then hope the readers find it anymore. So that's something that we're thinking about a lot. So when you're in this process of figuring out, okay, these cards aren't working, and you've got a couple of constituents, you've got readers, you've got the editorial team, you also have sponsors, how do you know where to start? Did you start talking to people and doing some interviews? Were you looking at data? What was the thing that helped you home We in? look at a lot of, we, look, we use Google Analytics and we look at a lot of data about how our readers are um, navigating through them. Um, we also have, we also do have a really great engaged readership. It's something that I feel um, very proud about is that there's a there's a constant conversation between um, between people who are engaged in the journalism world right now. I feel like people want to help solve this problem. Mm -hmm. um, it's different. It's it doesn't feel as if I, there is definitely a distrust with the media that exists in you know that has c continued to sort of decline. But I also see that there's a lot of people who really believe in the value of media and and want to help lift it up. So we get all these great responses on. Twitter, on Facebook, and email. We've had we've opened up um, you know Q and A's on our on our site, and we've seen people kind of like write in with their own ideas, um, and and that's fantastic. I mean, if I'm you know if I, if I can get some really smart brains helping me out with this problem like that, that is so thrilling to me. Um, but we also do use da data a lot to sort of figure out how people are using it. Yeah. So tell us more about the the metrics that you look at. What do you well, we try you? to. I mean, we we really try to start when we start a project. Um, we um, we have we have a great analytics editor who's on staff, and he's going to make so much fun of me when uh, when <laughs> he sees this, um, be <laughs> because he's really the one that drives all of this. Um, but he's always saying we have to start. You have to start with what you ha what is going to be the measurement of success before you launch the product. Um, what is it that you want to get out of this? And he doesn't want it to be ten different. You know, you're not trying to win in ten different areas. You want to win with one thing. What is what is it that you want the user to do? Um, 
and and how do, and how do you how will you see if that was good or not, if if you were successful at that or not. Um, and so for exa for example, with the card stacks, because they're a stack of cards, the biggest thing is to make sure that it, that we were making people that people were using them, that people were moving through them, that it wasn't just like they were reading one card and then leaving, that they were actually seeing if they were. Um, trying to find out more information. That's important from a content perspective. If we were writing them in a way that people were not interested to learn more about it, that would be a content problem. But there's also a product problem. Do we need to think about the way that we lay them out? Perhaps people don't want to swipe. Perhaps they want to scroll. You know, that's, those are all questions that we have. So we measure, you know, we measure simple things. Are people using the table of contents? Are people clicking through? Are people um, staying on the, on the site for a while and engaging with it? Um, and those are sort of the metrics that we watch. How about bigger picture metrics? You know, you've gone from zero to 22 million people a month. What's changed in that time in, in terms of the lead metrics that the, you look at overall? We, it's, I think one of the things that we've been really interested in, and especially just in the last seven months, it has been a big transition for us, is that we are thinking a lot more about off-platform um, off um, users. Um, we've started a, um, a really successful YouTube channel um, for um, our video program, and um, we want to be we want to value that um, that audience just as much as we value audiences that come to our own URLs. Um, we're really excited about the video performance that we've seen on Facebook. Um, we want to think about um, we want to think about our brand as a brand that exists wherever it exists, and that we can be delivering information to users wherever they are, not just on our own URLs. And I think in the beginning, you think of it as like, this is my patch of grass. Like, I want to tend this little space. Um, and it's a little bit harder of a disconnect. It's also harder to understand the metrics on other, on other platforms and um, on other areas of the web. Um, but I think it's really important for us to learn to, to understand those metrics as well. I think that's been the big Are there thing. any early ones that you, you're starting to look at that you could share very specifically? You, and, I mean, YouTube's been, YouTube's been really great. We've seen a huge amount of growth um, with that. I think that I, I don't and know what our... You're just how many videos watched in a period of time. How many videos watched, how many subscribers we have, um, how many, um, how long... YouTube's pretty interesting because you, I think it's YouTube. Actually, it might be Facebook. But you can see how long uh, users stay with the video. Yeah. So it's one thing to start a video. It's one thing to, you know, watch it for a few few seconds. But if you actually can get somebody to watch it for three minutes, um, that's really important to, to, our, um, to our metrics. And so w that is something that we are really carefully watching. Um, we're trying to tackle bigger subjects that are not quite so, you know, they're not they're not light and entertaining always. And, um, and we've been really excited to see that people are staying with us through the three-minute video, the four-minute video. And is there, when you see they're not, is that it, it, when you get the, somebody clicks off after 20 seconds, is that a lesson for you about the content? How do you, what do you do when you see that it's not working the way you expect? Yeah, I think that it's, I mean, I think that it, the, we're constantly thinking about, we want to always be thinking about product and editorial as a, as a single experience. Um, and so a lot of times it's probably the content. If it's something that they just clicked off really quickly, it might be the way that we presented it. It might be a product problem because of that. Um, I think with video, it's a little bit different because you know there's not a lot you can do in the experience. Um, but uh, but for instance, if they don't, if they're not watching the video all the way through on our site, on our URLs, we need to think about how we're presenting the story around the video um, to get to keep them engaged in that. So. All right, so one more question. Um, you guys had an internal symposium at Vox recently, mm -hmm. and one of the, the sort of maxims that came out of it was that you need to build in time for chaos. And that seems like a real tension to me if you're trying to move quickly, building in time for chaos. 
what does that mean for you guys? What, how do you do that? I, you know, one of the things that I love the most about my job is that it's just a really fun place to work. The people are really strange, odd, obsessive characters, and um, they like to have fun. And I think that what we get to do, because it's experimental, because it's like sort of chasing your curiosities. There's so much fun that, we, um, that we're able to have with our work. And building in time for chaos, it can, it can be just, you know, have a little fun in Slack. You know, we, ha we have this channel. It's probably my best um, addition to <laughs> Fox Media as a company. It's called the Awe Channel. It's where everyone like drops like gifts of cats and dogs. And you know, it's just like allowing that like little space for silliness um, is really is really important. And so we saw, you know, we see this with um, if you allow for a little bit of space for chaos, a little space for silliness, you see great stuff that comes out of it. We have a Taylor Swift Slack chat room um, and most people, companies do yeah <laughs> and uh, people from across the company all sort of talk about their Taylor's their experiences listening to Taylor Swift and it ended up actually um, be, it actually uh, became part of our storytelling we built out we had a live blog that we were building for the election and um, a developer and a writer who both love Taylor Swift decided that they would live blog the release of the Taylor Swift album. And um, I was very happy to see that because we needed to test the live blog in production. So why not have it, you know, live blog the <laughs> Taylor Swift album <laughs> listening party. Um, but without that kind of space for letting these people's, you know, they're free, they're fun to be free, we would have never had that test. And um, we were able to find a bunch of bugs with the live blog. And then on election day, we were able to have a good live blog thanks to Taylor Swift and the chaos theory. <laughs> All right, well, on the Taylor Swift <laughs> note, um, I would love to talk for another hour, but um, this has been so terrific. Melissa, thank you so much thank for joining you. us and coming through the storm. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you. you. So fun.